What up? We are back. Uh, new episode today, the Let's Talk Knicks podcast. I'm here with Brandon. Uh, how we doing, man? Doing good, man. I mean, we got we got lots of news coming on. Uh, we got the Randall update that we're going to get to, and then we're we're going to be talking about some some RJ Barrett discussion that I know we've been talking about off the podcast, but we wanted to bring it to the show to really dive deep into what his outlook is and what we think is going to be the future for him with this next team. Yeah. I mean, let's start at the first thing that you mentioned. Uh, so it came out today, Julius Randall had ankle surgery. He had two sprained ankles during the playoffs. And I guess the major question is like, does this affect the way that you view Julius Randall's postseason this year? I mean, to an extent, because, you know, playing through injury, playing through anything where you're going to need surgery at the end of the year, it's always commendable. And you never want to look down on a player that's doing that because it'd be just as easy for a guy to sit out that and not play through that injury. But at the same time, he is on the floor. He is being relied upon. And if, you know, if we look at (laughs) the old Bill Parcell saying, you're either hurt or you're injured. If you're hurt, you can still play. If you're injured, that's that's when you, you know, you're on the disabled list or the injured list or the IR. And there's a bunch of different variations across different sports, but really what it boils down to is, you know, Randall was still on the court. He was still getting touches. He was still playing the minutes that you would expect Julius Randall to play when he isn't hurt. Now, at the end of the day, whether you want to chalk up his bad performances to injury, whether you want to chalk it up to him not having that same explosiveness, that same you know, feel that he had during the regular season, which is all warranted. He still didn't play great. He still cost the Knicks points and possessions. And I wouldn't say games, but he played a a decent sized role in why they didn't win so many of them. So while the injury does play a factor, I'm still not excusing him for the bad performances that he had in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, I landed with it, uh, relatively where you did I, I don't think it's an excuse but I do think it's an explanation um I think when a guy is legitimately hurt as he now clearly was and I, like I'll be honest about it I had my questions as to whether or not I as to whether like how hurt Julius Randall truly was because even in games three and four which are the pinnacle of the Julius Randall frustrations were those two games in Miami and then obviously the the dud of a game six, but even in those two games, when the focus was really brought into the attention, we all have talked about it locally, but even the national attention of what kind of effort does Julius Randle bring to you on a day-in, day-out basis? What kind of what kind of mentality does he have? And there were moments where he's booking it down the court. He's giving you his all out. And you're like, wow, here we go. And then there are other moments where he seems completely checked out. So I was still wondering whether or not it was a – mental focus thing or if it was legitimately the injury now that it's been proven to me that it's legitimately an injury and he had two you know two sprained ankles I'm I'm not willing to give him a pass on the performance because I agree with if he was really so hurt that he couldn't play don't be on the floor but it is a legitimate explanation as to what we saw in the postseason this year coming off of the 77 games that he played until the ankle injury. And he was never a hundred percent. We questioned whether or not he would play game one of the Cleveland series. 
He did, and he battled through that series, and he got hurt in the process. Missed game one of the Miami series. A lot of people thought he'd be out the first two games of the Miami series. Came back and and played, uh, you know, and, and played the rest of the series. And every single game after the game, there were questions. Hey, man, how's your ankle? And every single game, he would give the same response. It doesn't matter. We're in the playoffs. So my my feelings on questioning his motor in the postseason are are out the window because the guy clearly has you know, a giant heart and a motor. I think those questions don't need to be asked anymore. Yeah, definitely. And and it it gives you some answers, like you said, about, okay, it seems like he's not the same type of guy he was in the regular season. Why is that? Is he run down? We now know it's an actual injury. At the end of the day, if you really look at it, a lot of NBA players are dealing with injuries by the time the playoffs come around. I mean, look at LeBron, for instance. He's getting... An off-season sur- surgery. I'm pretty sure, or I'm, I, I. It wouldn't surprise me if you saw other superstars, other players, get minor surgeries or have to go to rehab for different injuries that they suffered. Because that's the nature of of basketball. Over an 80-plus game season, you're going to deal with different bruises. You're going to deal with different injuries, and even going beyond that to the playoffs, you're going to have to fight through things. But like you said, you don't question Randall's motor. You don't question his heart. You don't question his dedication to the Knicks. You could question maybe some on-the-court stuff in terms of effort throughout the year, but is that effort now because of the injury or because he didn't want to make that effort and he simply couldn't? So it's it's very interesting, and I think those questions will now be a little more vague in a sense of there's not like a solidified answer of, oh, Randall was checked out. Well, now you have this injury to contend with. So it's very interesting for me in, in that case. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And listen, if Julius Randle had played well, the conversation around the injury would be very different, uh, even if they had still lost. I mean, the 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 one that glares out in a comparison, I know it's another sport, but Terrell Owens playing in the Super Bowl on the Boston ankle, he played great in the game. Nobody ever says that the reason the Eagles lost that game is because Terrell Owens played on a bum ankle, and yet they still lost the game. So had Julius Randle played better, the conversation around the injury nationally and from a bigger perspective would obviously be different. But because he didn't play well and they lost, there is still legitimate question about was he doing the right thing for the team playing through the injury that he clearly was compromised for, or I should say the best case scenario for the Julius Randle defenders me being one of them is that he was seriously compromised because of the injuries during the playoffs. Does that excuse the performance? No, but it's an explanation for one. I think what it comes down to is you'll never have a full hundred percent answer one way or the other. You're never going to be like, Oh, it was a hundred percent. This, it was a hundred percent that. And to really segue into the next part of our show today, Randall wasn't the only reason that the Knicks lost in the playoffs. He was not the only reason, the sole reason, the guy that, oh my goodness, if he plays better, the Knicks are in the Eastern Conference final. It's not that simple. It was never that simple. If you've really looked at it, Jalen Brunson was the only guy that was truly hitting shots. And this includes RJ Bowden in this conversation. And this is, I feel like, the great jumping off point to our main topic for today, which is... R.J. Barrett's outlook on this Knicks roster going forward. So I I guess you can get us started with this. You know, what's R.J.'s current situation in the sense of 
What's his production been? And where do you think he really lies in terms of value on this team? Yeah. So, I mean, before we, I want to start this by, by asking you a question between games three, between game three of the Cleveland series and the end of game five of the Miami series, would you agree with me that RJ Barrett was unquestionably the Knicks second best player in the postseason? Yes. I mean, it's, it's back to the issue that I had with him and we can get into that, but you had the ups where he looks like, the guy, the guy the Knicks need, the guy that you can rely on the score, the guy that can play decent defense, the guy that can do a little bit of everything. And then it came crashing back down. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into the inconsistencies here in a minute because the R.J. Barrett inconsistencies are not even, they're month to month, they're game to game. Sometimes they're quarter to quarter, where in the first quarter he'll have, you know, eight or ten points, he'll be going to the rim, he'll be finishing these tough layups. He'll hit the open three, and you're like, oh, my God, here comes an R.J. Barrett game. And then the next three quarters, he disappears. You know, I you know, I, I bring this up. So in February this year, you got the worst of R.J. Barrett. He shot 25% from three. He averaged 16 a game. There's a, a stretch here, if you're just looking at the game logs, where he's absolutely horrible for three or four games in a row, culminating in the Brooklyn game where he only scored four points. And then if you're looking at December – He's awesome. He's exactly what you, what the Knicks drafted him to be. He's 43% from three. He's, he's even better from, uh, from two point range. He's shooting 75% from the, from the free throw line. He averages over 20 a game, including the game where he had 44 and he was six for six from three. So there are nights when you're like, Oh my God, this guy is the superstar that we drafted. And there are other nights where you wonder where he was on the basketball court. Game six is the quintessential R.J. Barrett game. First quarter, he's awesome. He's going to the free throw lines. He's going toe-to-toe with Jalen Brunson, leading the team to a 14-point lead with like two minutes to go in the quarter. And then for the next three quarters, he completely vanishes. And you're waiting for him to do something. And he and there's nothing, any, and there's not anything there. But that's only one game. And there's a whole playoff run that has to be considered. R.J. Barrett, two years ago in the playoffs as the Knicks' second option, was awful. Shot 38% uh, from the field, shot 28% from, from three-point land. His true shooting percentage was under 50, and he only averaged 14, 14 a game. This year, he's 19 a game. He's 43 uh, field goal percentage. He's 34% from three, and he's a 55% true shooter. And he was the Knicks' second-best player until the game when every single player on the Knicks sucked, not named Jalen Brunson. Everybody. Josh Hart couldn't hit anything. Quentin Grimes couldn't hit anything. Julius Randle couldn't hit anything. Isaiah Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson didn't do anything. Every single player on the court that night sucked, except for Jalen Brunson. So to just have that one bad game and to lobe RJ in this and to say, like, he's the reason he's got to go because of the one bad game when we had had two weeks, including in the Miami series, in game four when he was one of the only ones that showed up, in game one when he led the team in scoring on 50% shooting, uh, and the Cleveland series, the back half of the Cleveland series, where you were like, this guy, you know, shout out Connor Hughes, is Star J, Barrett. Not even RJ, he's Star J. Like, the excitement level was through the roof with this guy, and then 48 hours later, it was gone. Now, there's the flip side. We talked about it a little bit off the show, so now I want to bring it onto the show. 
RJ Barrett in year two, which was the we here season, was placed with a lot of responsibility. He was the next second offensive option to Julius. His usage rate was higher than it's been his entire career. His points per game were at its peak, and so was his three-point percentage. He shot over 40% from three that year. He hasn't come close to that since. He shot 34% a year ago. He shot 31% this year. So what happened to the three-point shooting from R.J. Barrett? Because it fell off a cliff at one point in this regular season. He had a couple of 0 for 6s, 0 for 7 nights like that, that you could see. And other guys who have, this has happened to in year two, where you look at their year two and you're like, man, that guy was a lot better in his second year than I remember throughout the course of his career. Our guy, and I just, I just did lottery picks over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years, right? Dating back to 2010. It's Kobe White, it's Chris Dunn, it's Torian Prince, Denzel Valentine, it's Ben McLemore, and it's Deion Waiters. Now, that's not, I think that, that's not a group Barrett, you want to be a part of. <laughs> no, and I think R.J. Barrett is significantly better than every single player I just mentioned. But if you're just looking at the guys that peaked in year two and that didn't get back to that by year four, that is the fear. That's the downside of R.J. We see the upside, but the downside is... Is he Deion Waiters? I don't think he is. He's not, you know, the player that I remember them drafting at three overall, this like highly hyped number one high school guy. And I remember exactly where I was for his putback, uh, putback layup against UCF in the tournament when you were like, wow, this guy just like came up huge on like the coattails of, he was on Zion's coattails and then he had a big March moment to, keep them alive. And then year two, he's the next second best player. And even in the playoffs this year, at times he showed you the flashes of the star that everybody kind of expects him to be. But when is it going to happen and where is it with the Knicks? Is it next year? Is he like, he he has the all-star potential. He does. Like it's obvious it's there. We see it in some nights, but is it ever going to fully happen for him? Is he ever going to be able to put it together? Is he ever going to be able to become the 40.3 three-point shooter that he was a couple of years ago while also continuing to get better at attacking the rim, being a playmaker, and his defense is much improved? Like, can he ever put it all together so that the R.J. Barrett that we thought we were seeing for some parts of the playoffs becomes an every-night thing? It's very interesting because I, I've said this to all my Knicks, Nick fan friends. I've said this to people that watch basketball consistently, RJ Barrett is probably my favorite and least favorite player at the same time. And more so least favorite because of how inconsistent he is because you, you nailed it right on the head, right? Some games, he looks like the best player on the court. Literally can't be stopped going to the rim. And if that jump shot's falling, there's not a way to stop him. And then all of a sudden, nothing really changes, but maybe a defense makes a small tweak. And all of a sudden, Barrett can't hit a shot. He can't finish at the rim. He's in his own head. You know, it, it's funny. And Barrett, in my opinion, has produced way more than the guy I'm about to mention. But you see some similarities, in a sense, to a Zach Wilson type. In a very, very, oh, God. very distant oh, manner. God. But, but think about it. We've seen stretches from Zach Wilson where he'll be able to string a drive together, where he'll make that nice throw, the big-time play. And then all of a sudden, he makes the one mistake, and it all comes cascading down. It all comes crashing down. And all of a sudden, it's like, where was the guy we just saw five minutes ago? Where was the guy we saw last week? And it's those types of things 
that are very interesting. It's very interesting to see, okay, why did RJ go from all of a sudden this to this to here to here, just all over the place. So looking at some of the numbers, right, you talked about his true shooting percentage. And if you look at it compared to his four years in, in the NBA, ironically, it's his hot. This year was his highest since that 2020 season, but it's still five, 531 compared to 535. You look at that 2020 season, he shot 44% from the field, basically. He took 14.7 field goals per game. He averaged 17.6 points per game. From three point, he shot 40%. But you look at his minutes per game, like you said, his usage, it was it was the highest usage of his career. So if we look at some of the other factors and we think about him, why is R.J. Barrett not been able to reach that year over the, the last two years? He's gotten close in some aspects. Like he's gotten close in the true shooting. He's gotten close in the points per game, but that three pointing that three point percentage has never been as close. In fact, it's getting worse. Think about the Knicks roster that season. Emmanuel quickly, I'm pretty sure it was either his first or second season. Same thing with Obi Toppin. These are guys the that we, are the we hear the, the we, the we hear season. season. Yes. Yeah. So Obi Obi and Quickly's rookie year. It was yeah. their rookie year. These are guys that are learning the system. These are guys that Thibodeau doesn't trust. You're getting a lot of Evan Fournier minutes, who we all saw how that went. He brought the scoring, but he didn't bring as much defense. We get that. Derek Rose minutes to spark you. You had more veteran-type guys, but this was a rebuild-type year. This was a season that was never meant for the Knicks to make the playoffs. If, if we remember correctly, and... This may be hard because of how things have shaped out. Julius Randle, everyone thought he was gone. Everyone thought this was, they're signing a guy, he's going to produce, and then the Knicks are going to flip him for assets. That didn't happen because the Knicks made an improbable run to the playoffs. It changed their entire perspective on how they won to build their roster. The whole idea of that season was to get R.J. Barrett as many looks as possible, to make him a centerpiece of that offense as the year went on. The idea was Randall and the veterans start off. And as the year goes on, you know, you start to see more of the young guys. That didn't happen the way you want it to happen. As a result, we saw what happened last year. And then this year as well, you're adding more guys like a Jalen Brunson, a Josh Hart, on top of guys like Emmanuel quickly getting more settled in, Obi Toppin getting more settled in. So now you have different avenues to score the basketball. But RJ... Still, and to his credit, still has that mentality of he's going to attack and he's going to score and he's going to get hits. And that isn't there all the time. For some reason, there's that disconnect between the year where he, oh, you could argue he had free reign to now he'll be so successful attacking the rim and then he'll just suddenly stop because he wants to shoot the three. Or he'll be hitting a certain type of shot and he just won't go back to it. It's these confusing parts where I'd argue that because he's not getting the same amount of looks to really work through that stuff like he was in that 2020 season, that he isn't as productive, that you could argue maybe he's better suited for that lower tier 
playoff team that isn't trying to fully compete where he's that number one or at least a number one B option, if not number two, where he's getting all his looks, he's working through that type of stuff, and he doesn't really have to think because I feel like a lot of times when he's getting in his own head, it seems like that's when the wheels start to fall off. Right, but that's the thing about, like, RJ and Julius both have this. You can tell what kind of night it's going to be for them immediately. Like, game three of the first round against Cleveland is the perfect example. Knicks are down 6-2. to RJ lines up that first three. And everybody I was watching with, I was watching with all Cavs fans. I go to school in Ohio. And every everybody I was watching this will remember me screaming, no, because I did not want RJ Barrett to take a three because he wasn't hitting any three. That three went in and he was awesome for three straight playoff games. Like you can tell immediately what kind of night it's going to be for him. Second of all, apologies to RJ Barrett for being mentioned in the same breath as Zach Wilson. That's that's <laughs> not nice at all. <laughs> like, I was trying to, I was trying to make a comparison. Obviously, RJ straight up disrespectful to RJ Barrett. RJ Barrett's a way better <laughs> player than Zach Wilson. We know like that's a well-known fact, but it's it's making that link between two guys that have it, it seems like when the mental part goes, it all falls apart. And it's very like you just see the talent. You see the talent. The talent's there. And you're like, and you're like, this guy should be better than what I'm watching. I, I understand. There, I understand. You, just, I mean, you watch just, you you watch the Jets too. Zach Wilson has the talent to be very good. The mental part of the game, though, is just not there all the time. No, I I totally understand. But like back to RJ, like, and it's this thing, and you mentioned it a little bit when he has free reign, and that's what I was getting at when I was going through the highly picked guys that were the best year, second year. A lot of times, what will happen is teams that don't expect to be good like the like the Knicks didn't expect to be good will say hey it's time to validate our selecting of this player so they give him a lot more responsibilities than maybe they should and you always see this kick up in numbers and then years three four five once you've kind of figured out what he is through you know to get back to your Zach Wilson comparison as Robert Sala would say ripping the band-aid off and just letting them play Right. So the Knicks ripped the bandaid off with RJ Barrett. They made him the team's second option. They gave him his highest usage rate. And that season, per 100 possessions, he has the best uh, box score plus minus per 100 of his entire career. He's a plus 2.7 in that season. Last year completely was a disaster. He was a minus three. This year, he's still in the minus. It's, it's not even close between year two and where he is today. And yet, where he is today, I still think it's significantly better than where he was a year ago. And so I'm still puzzled by this. Is he improving? Did he plateau? Is this a second year is the best year of his career kind of guy? Like, who is he? He obviously has a flair for the big moment. Like, he he has a sense of the dramatic. We've seen that since he was a kid with Team Canada against the USA team, you know, having a big moment for them to win them a gold medal. Like he's, he's a guy with all, it seems like all the intangibles and all the talent, but something is a disconnect. It's funny because we say all this and yet he's still an insanely vital part to this next roster. He is arguably a top four, if not top three important player to this team, because we've seen what the team has looked like without RJ. It's not as good. It's, it's simple as that. But to your point, what is he? Is he the guy that can be that number three, that consistent number three? Is he a guy that can fluctuate between the two and fourth best player, which 
I don't think that's necessarily a great thing. I don't think that's necessarily a horrible thing. I think that's somewhere in the middle where it's just like, eh. But you also have to put into consideration the contract he has, the value that a salary like his has and a potential move to go get a star. This all goes into play. And how the Knicks view RJ, how they view him as whether or not he's plateauing, he still has room to get better. He's going to be one of the best players on this roster, or he's just going to be a part of this roster. Those are the type of discussions that we we say it all the time, and it's not really an exaggeration. That's going to shape this offseason. That's going to shape the future of the team because you make a move to keep RJ, what's the opportunity cost of you keeping him? We saw that last season with the Donovan Mitchell trade. You kept Grimes and RJ. What was the opportunity cost of keeping those guys and the picks instead of going after Donovan Mitchell? So how does that play into this offseason? That's that's really, I think, the question, right? It's whether you keep him or you don't keep him, how is that going to play out for this team? Right. Well, I think to add on to your question, I think – do you believe in the three-point shot coming back or not? Because if R.J. Barrett is going to refine himself as a 38, 39, 40% three-point shooter, as the rest of his game is developing, you know, I, I can't believe it's gotten us this long to, to not mention his age, but now I have to. He's still only 22 years old. His contract goes until the end of the 26-27 season. So do you expect that age 27 R.J., that the three-pointer will have come back and that you will have seen whatever the full version of this guy is. Are you more comfortable rolling that pair of dice that the three that you know the deficiencies in his game are going to evolve and he is going to take the next leap that some expect of him? Or would you rather roll the dice and say, this is what he is, what he is today is what he's going to be tomorrow, it's what he's going to be a year from now. He's $23 million now. A couple of years from now, he'll be $29 million. Is this the right time or sometime in the next two years before the CBA kicks in? Is now the right time to cash in our R.J. Barrett chip? I mean, he's a career uh, 34.3% three-point shooter. You know, his first year rookie season at age 19, he shot three, he shot 32%. Obviously, we talked about the 2020 year. He shot 40, 40.1%. Then it came down to 34.2%. And then this year was the worst three-point shooting year of his career at 31%. Is it going to bounce? Point where late in the season, to the point where late in the season, down the stretch, like I just told you the story of me watching game three, I think for an extremely confident player, which RJ Barrett has more confidence than anybody in the history of basketball <laughs> for an extremely confident player. It seemed like even he lost some confidence in the three point shot because there was hesitancy. It wasn't going in. I mean, it was a lot. His three point shooting at some points during the regular season became a true liability for them at one point, And at one point in time, the corner three RJ Barrett was really good at. You know, all of a sudden he's not. So the question is, can he revert back to what he was while building the rest of his game? Or is he now a trade chip? Well, I mean, coming back to a prior discussion we had on on the show, you add more three-point shooting around him, and RJ, I say, maybe brings it back up to 35 37% from three. 
that's acceptable because he's got more room to drive, more room to truly attack the basket. We talked about how imperative it is for the Knicks to add three-point shooting. If RJ can even increase that three-point percentage by like 5%, 6%, that's going to have a huge difference on this team. So I'm not in the camp of cashing in the RJ trade chip for just anything. Quite honestly, most guys that RJ would be up to be traded for, I'm probably keeping RJ instead. You mentioned he's only 22. I feel like there still is room to grow in the other aspects. Even if the three-point shot isn't there, I feel like he can become better. Maybe he improves the mid-range. Maybe he improves his defense. Maybe he improves his driving ability to the point where him being a 35 37% three-point shooter isn't going to be a complete liability where he still brings enough to the table as an overall player that you don't need RJ to shoot more than two, three, three-pointers a game. Now, we've heard the rumors that have come up that the Knicks are patiently waiting for Joel Embiid. If that comes to fruition, then I'm, I'm including RJ in it. If, if a true superstar that brings you everything comes to the table, that, that's where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine parting with RJ Barrett. You know, the OG Ananobis, the the other guys in that range, you're, you're, I'm going to be hard-pressed to give them up because I still feel like there is room to grow, not necessarily in the three-point aspect, but in different areas of his game. Yeah. Yeah. And like what you just said about they're patiently waiting for Embiid, like everybody needs to understand that in this league, there are going to be people that haven't said a word that you're not even thinking of right now that are going to demand a trade. And even if Joel Embiid says that it's not something he's interested in right now, being patient doesn't have to be a year. It could be a month. <laughs> like it's just the nature. Who would have thought that Kevin Durant was going to wake up on June 30th last year and request a trade out of Brooklyn? None of us thought that was on the table when it happened. So Twice. like these things just happen. Twice. So Twice. these things just kind of happen. <laughs> they just pop up. So in the fun spirit of Joel Embiid, I have a trade offer for you. And it's just going to be a, you know, yes or no on the trade offer. Nick send RJ, Fournier's contract, Grimes, Obi, and quickly. Unprotected's in 24, 26, and 28. And the protected from Detroit and from Washington next year, they get back and bead and PJ Tucker's contract. That is the all in because it's Joel Embiid and he just did just win the MVP. And every Nick fan that's going to say, well, you can't trade this young guy and this young guy. You can't trade quickly and Grimes. Do you see the Rudy Gobert trade? Like these are the, this is the price tag, unfortunately. And I'm with most of you about how sad it would be, but unfortunately this is more the price tag for the reigning MVP of the league. I'm not saying I'm for it. So before whoever clips this and saying, Jacob says that we need to trade quickly and Quentin Grimes. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that this is a potential offer because the price tag for a guy like Joel Embiid today is going to be steep. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And because it's the Knicks, there's a certain, the Knicks haven't had a superstar in a while. They're going all in for this tax. It just exists. Every team that's going to do it with the Knicks, as we saw with the Donovan Mitchell trade, expects a, the Knicks are desperate for the superstar tax. 
I think the CBA plays a big part in this. If the Knicks offer this, because it tells you if this is the trade offer, the Knicks go all in with Embiid. They're not confident keeping quickly Grimes and Obi because they they feel like, hey, maybe if we have the RJ Barrett, quote unquote, close to max, you have the Brunson deal, the Randall deal. We're not going to be able to keep all of them and we're going to lose somebody for nothing. So that's where it's like, yes, you're giving up a ton in this trade, but now you're conveying those assets into Embiid instead of being like, all right, we're losing our top 10 draft pick for nothing in Obi Toppin. All right, we're losing a potential six man of the year candidate in quickly, which I don't think they would ever lose quickly for nothing, mind you. But in, in this case, you're conveying that into the former MVP. So uh, would I necessarily do it now? Probably not. But would it make sense if the Knicks did it? Yes, it would. Yeah, you're basically saying Brunson and Embiid carry us to a championship. And everybody else is expendable because it's going to be impossible to pay everybody. And if you do, it's going to be impossible to do anything else. So you are essentially saying that the team around Brunson and Joel Embiid is expendable and flexible because Julius Randle's contract comes up in two years. RJ's comes up in 2027, as I mentioned, but there will, there will be opportunities to trade him. I'm not, you know, down the road, there will definitely be opportunities, even if it's, well, it would be in this trade, be in the Embiid trade. So forget everything I just said about RJ Barrett, but (laughs) like there will be opportunities to keep it, to keep the team around and bead and Brunson flexible. So like you are saying, you are banking on these two guys are going to carry you to an NBA championship. To your point, uh, I, I, I felt like I kind of answered it in the sense of I'm keeping RJ unless I'm trading him for a star to really wrap up this episode. What's your official stance on RJ? Are, are you a keeper or a uh, or trade guy? I'm pro RJ. But if there is a chance to include him as a major piece of a Joel Embiid trade or a trade of a guy of that ilk, you don't have to ask me twice because I am seriously concerned with the second year stuff. I'm concerned by the three-point shooting. I'm concerned whether or not he plateaued. And I'm concerned whether or not he's just an easy person to game plan for. And also, and this may sound stupid, I thought – the player poll that deemed him like one of the three most overrated players in the league was honestly pretty telling. So I'm I'm a fan of RJ Barrett's, but if there's an opportunity to truly include him in a trade, you don't have to ask me twice. Yeah, I feel I feel like you're on the money with it. It's he's a big part of the team, but he's not an untouchable part of the team. And I feel like that's where the changes happen from and I wouldn't even say a huge change. But I feel like he's even more kind of expendable now than he was last year because it's it was the first year after that deal. The money's already kicked in. The poison pill provision isn't there after June 29th. So essentially the start of the new league year. So, yeah, I, I feel I feel like that makes a lot of sense. I truly think that's what the Knicks position with him is going to be. Yeah. All right, guys, this was awesome. Uh, We'll be back next week. Um, I'm sure RJ Barrett won't be upset at you for comparing him to one of the worst quarterbacks that ever grace in the NFL field, (laughs) at least least statistically, for now, until he resurrects his career in two years when Aaron Rodgers is done. But I'm sure RJ won't be be upset with you. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure not. And it wasn't a st- statistical comparison. It was more of a uh, little comparison I saw with the uh, the mental side of things, which is is still a huge part of sports. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. We'll catch you guys later. Have a great week.